The health of any relationship, team, or organization can be measured by the lag time between identifying and discussing problems. And couldn't the same be said for how we respond to fire and EMS calls? We don't seem to have hang-ups when it comes to quickly and systematically identifying problems on the fire ground and the EMS scene. So why do we have such a problem making the connection when it comes to our relationships within the firehouse walls? In today's episode, I'm going to share some insight that I received while at a Vital Smarts training here in Phoenix, where I learned some of the things discussed in their book, Crucial Accountability. And make sure to stay tuned because at the end, I'll give some details on how you can win a free copy. are a firefighter and an EMS professional. You are a part of a worldwide brotherhood of dedicated servants and you put your life on the line every day for others. Because of that, you deserve better. We are often our own worst enemies and it's time to own it. Let's work to improve and change the status quo. That change starts with us, right here, right now. In every situation we're faced with, as we see a need, we own it and we act. Be the ideal firefighter you would want on your crew. Be ignited. Hey everyone, my name is Ryan Rodriguez and I'm the founder of Ignited and your host for the Ignited Firefighter Podcast. The Ignited Movement is a brotherhood of firefighters who challenge the status quo through a forum dedicated to self-improvement and accountability. In each of these episodes, we discuss a myriad of different things challenging the fire service today, from leadership and tactics to how to improve ourselves physically as well as mentally. We aim to civilize the mind but make savage the body. And even though the focus is on the fire service, topics and principles we discuss can be applied by professionals everywhere. That being said, let's light the spark. According to research performed by Vital Smarts, 93% of the reason people don't speak up is due to fear. Fear that those people are going to be judged, ostracized, ridiculed, or retaliated against. The fear response resorts us to primal behavior, and we need to get to a point where we stay in our brain about things, and we don't just resort to yelling or even worse, physical confrontations. So how we do that is by mastering the narrative. Now, I'm not saying creating a situation that doesn't exist to exploit others. What I'm saying is understanding the reasoning behind the action. In order to change how we behave, we need to understand that this is the template for typical behavior. We see and or hear something happen. We tell ourselves a story and we speculate as to the motivations behind it. Uh, that results in us feeling a certain way. And then we act on those feelings typically. In order to master ourselves, we need to disrupt this sequence of behaviors. We need to disrupt this template. We do that by understanding the list of potential motivations, which I'll get to in just a second. But first, let me talk about how we behave as humans. We make a lot of assumptions. We tend to attribute negative meaning to our assumed experience. And this is called the fundamental attribution error. We judge ourselves by our intentions and we judge others by their behavior. Now, this is where we start making assumptions, right? We assume that we know what their intentions were 
based on the behavior that we see. If we would just take the time to learn the cause, we'll be more successful at finding the solution. And the same can be said for how we approach EMS calls, right? We don't just dismiss people based on what we think is going on, or we shouldn't do that anyway. That's not the sign of a professional. We take the time on scene to ask questions. We determine a differential diagnosis based on the symptoms that we identify. We formulate a treatment plan. We take action. Then we observe the changes and hopefully they're positive. When you have an accountability issue, we should be taking a similar approach. We can't treat everything like a cold. Give the issues their due diligence. When people don't live up to your expectations, it's due to one of two things, motivation and ability. And sometimes it's a combination of both of those things. We make assumptions on why we think people meet or don't meet our expectations. Not making assumptions is one of the four agreements that I personally live by, as explained um, by Don Miguel Ruiz in his book, The Four Agreements. And if you're unfamiliar with what those are, then go back and listen to episode six, where I talk about each one in depth. I do my best not to make assumptions when dealing with other people because that's when the problems start, right? Assumptions are made rather than attempts to gain clarity on the situation. And when that happens, communication breaks down, judgments get made, and progress stops altogether. We know what we need to do on a fire ground based on our training, and we know what we are supposed to do on an EMS scene due to our algorithms and our understanding of the human body. But what about the situations that call for communication and understanding? Well, I was given some insight on some things that we can keep in mind when dealing with touchy situations regarding accountability. The more we can operate with these in mind and implement them into our thought process, the better off we'll be in our relationships and ultimately our organizations. Here are the six sources of influence, according to Vital Smarts. Number one, personal motivation. So you either like doing this thing or you don't like it, right? It's not your priority. Number two, personal ability. It may be difficult for someone to achieve this standard or to meet this expectation, or maybe they just don't understand it. Maybe they just don't understand what's being asked of them. So that inhibits their personal ability to accomplish the task. Number three, social motivation. I want to, but my boss says not to. Uh, my coworkers get angry if I do. So one example is maybe a policy that ties your hands, even though you want to get something done. Um, an example that comes to my mind is one time I was met by a homeless guy outside of a store that we were shopping at when we went grocery shopping on duty. And it was really cold out and we greeted this gentleman and he, the first thing he asked us was, do you guys have any socks? And I looked down and I noticed he wasn't wearing any socks or footwear or anything like that. Um, and actually, actually he was wearing footwear, but they were, it was kind of tattered, but he didn't have any socks on and it was cold out. It was cold for Arizona. Um, so I went in and I bought me and my crew, we went in and we bought some socks for this gentleman and we came back out and gave him like six pairs of socks. And, and he was super thankful, but we have a policy or there were whisperings of a policy that we couldn't make personal purchases while on duty. So while 
policy says that I shouldn't have been allowed to make that purchase for this gentleman, it was the right thing to do, right? It was a social motivation. Um, sometimes our hands are tied with policy that maybe administration doesn't see how it truly affects us in, in doing what we do and caring for the people that we care for, right? Um, another example of the social motivation is my coworkers get angry if I do. Now, I'm a peer fitness trainer for my organization, which means if somebody is under threat of getting pulled off the truck for like pre-diabetes or some other kind of health issue, or maybe if they just want to get into shape back into like recruit academy shape, then I'm the guy. I'm certified to help them out and I'm deemed with the task and I love doing it. I love helping people meet their goals, set new goals and, and get to where they want to be. Um, but I did experience some backlash. I reached out to one of my crewmates who was under threat of being pulled off the truck due to a pre-diabetic situation. And I offered my assistance and I'm like, Hey, let me make a plan for you. And, and let me, uh, let me help you out with your nutrition. I've got all these resources. I think I can really help you and, and remove this, remove this underlying threat of, of pre-diabetes and getting pulled off the truck. Well, I was met with uh, some pretty significant hostility about it. And I was told to back off. I was told to let those people come to me and not reach out to them, which I think is kind of the opposite of what we're supposed to do. I mean, if we see a brother in trouble, I would think that we're supposed to reach out and help them and offer them help, but that's not what I was directed to do. Um, so anyway, that's number three, social motivation. Number four, social ability. This is like, I can do it, but only if they get me the tools that I need. So a person may, might be able to fix something around the station, but they might not have the tools needed to do it. Uh, number five, structural motivation. This is where you know that it's important, but it's not in your job description. So a lot of the accountability tends to be shirked when it comes to doing this, like, if we agree that uh, Sundays are going to be the day that we clean the gym and we're in there on a Saturday and we notice that it's really dirty, are you just going to let it sit there and be like, ah, they're coming in tomorrow and they're supposed to clean it since it's on a Sunday? Or are you going to take ownership of that and are you going to clean it yourself? I know the answer to what I would do, but this is just a hypothetical question that I'm posing to you to, to help you better understand uh, number five, structural motivation. Uh, number six, structural ability. The new hardware can't run the software, right? This is, this is one of those examples where the tools are kind of inhibiting the process. So maybe the new software that you're using on your uh, EPCR reports isn't user-friendly and guys are getting confused, guys are getting frustrated, right? So what can we do about that? We can talk to the people who are developing the software or building it according to department specifications so that maybe it can be a little more user-friendly. There are answers to that too. But those are the six sources of influence. Again, I'll run through them real quick. Number one, personal motivation. Number two, personal ability. Number three, social motivation. Number four, social ability. Number five, structural motivation. And number six, structural ability. You can kind of see a theme here, right? According to Vital Smarts, their research suggests that if you will look at at least four of these sources of influence, 
you will be 10 times more likely to get the outcome that you're looking for. If you just take a minute and consider one of these sources of influence, rather than jumping to conclusions and making assumptions, you will be 10 times more likely to get the outcome that you're looking for. It's crazy, right? 10 times. What else yields those, those kind of results? Like nothing that I can think of. Um, the, the consequences of our behavior are what should drive our actions. Thinking ahead, right? Again, just like on the fire ground, we think ahead and anticipate fire behavior based on our actions. And then we formulate a strategy based on the desired outcome. Dealing with people is no different. We should be thinking of the imposed and the natural consequences of how we behave and what we say, how we approach the situation. Let me dive a little deeper and explain the difference between these two types of consequences. Imposed consequences are things like, if you don't wear your helmet on the next MVA, I'm going to write you up. And this can be driven by anger, disapproval, you know, threats to the job, threats to your position, privileges, status, and etc. Um, it's an imposed consequence. Whereas a natural consequence are things like, look, I don't want your wife or husband to be feeding you through a tube for the rest of your life. So could you please make sure and wear your helmet on the next MVA? This focuses more on the pain or problems people are already experiencing or will experience as a result of their current choices. So you see the difference there. One's imposed and one's just the natural consequence of the situation. So thinking about those consequences, uh, thinking about the natural consequences can help you better support your argument for, for the standard or for the expectation. Try these three categories or try these three questions, thinking about these three questions the next time you're talking to someone about an accountability issue. How will this affect them personally? Think about all the different ways of how this issue would affect this person in a personal way. Introduce hidden victims. Are you aware of how this will affect your crew? Ask them. Ask them that question. Are you aware of how this is going to affect your family? Don't make me be the guy to have to come to your house and tell your wife that you've been killed because you weren't wearing the right PPE or some other, you know, ignorant reason. You want to also connect to their existing sense of empowerment. And this means building trust by showing that you have confidence in them. So these all relate, these questions all relate back to those six sources of influence. So the first question, how will this affect them personally? goes back to source one, personal motivation, right? The second question, uh, or the second element by, of uh, introducing hidden victims appeals to source three, social motivation. You know, how, how are your peers or how are people going to view your actions? Uh, the, third, the third element or the third question, connecting it to an existing sense of empowerment uh, relates to source five, structural motivation. Like, you know, it's important, but it's not my job description. Connect it to their sense of empowerment by allowing them to, to go outside of the box within reason, uh, shows that you trust them. You trust their judgment. 
And all that does is build trust among the ranks. One of the things that's probably the most effective that I have witnessed and that I can think of and that I can provide a good example of is making the invisible visible. There's always something that connects our desired outcome and the natural consequences of the repeated offense. We just have to make the invisible visible. So let me tell you about a, a video on YouTube that I saw, and it's actually produced by Vital Smarts, the company who published uh, Crucial Accountability, and it's pretty hilarious. So I'll provide links to the video in the show notes if you guys want to um, click on it and look at it and share it. But for those of you listening right now, I will describe it to you. So in the video, there's a janitor at a local school who's dealing with an issue of having to stay late to clean off all the mirrors in the girls' bathrooms because they started a fad where they'd put a lot of lipstick on and then kiss the mirrors, leaving thick lipstick all over the mirrors. So the janitor goes to a supervisor, the principal, and asks her to take care of the issue. She looks at him and says, no problem, I got this. She then picks up the receiver connected to the intercom for the school and makes a school-wide announcement. She says, attention please, ladies, would you please stop putting lipstick prints on the bathroom mirrors? She repeats it again. She says, thank you. Then she turns to the janitor and asks, is that good enough? Like job well done, right? Like I did my job. Boom. What else do you want? Right? The janitor couldn't really fault her for making an attempt to address the issue because she addressed the issue. However, after that announcement, the lipstick prints doubled. So she may have addressed the issue, but she didn't address it effectively, right? This obviously made more work for the janitor and made his life even more difficult. And he needed to come up with a smart solution. So he asked the principal to call a group of the most popular girls in school, the known offenders to the bathroom for a little meeting. And he showed them respect. He started out and he told them, ladies, I'd like to thank you for your time. Every day at the end of the day, I have to go through an unnecessary cleaning process and I hope you're willing to help. He said, if you look over here to the mirror, you'll see the lipstick prints. They're greasy and they're very difficult to clean. And I go home late every day because I have to spend so much time just on these mirrors. And I'd like to show you what I have to do every day. Then he goes over to his mop bucket and he grabs a squeegee out of it. And he walks over to one of the toilets and he shoves that squeegee down into it, getting it all soaked with toilet water. And then he walks back over to the mirror and he slaps it right on there and he starts scrubbing away. And at this point, the girls are mortified, right? They're making the connection and they cannot, they're like super disgusted. They cannot even believe what they're saying. So he keeps scrubbing away and he turns to them and he says, every day I do this. <laughs> And, and he drove the point home, right? He made the invisible visible. So the principal solution was to just give orders, right? Order the, order the girls not to leave lipstick marks. But his solution was effective because he made the invisible visible. And it directly affected those girls, obviously, right? I'm pretty sure he didn't have to deal with lipstick on the mirror after that. The more conscious we are about our communication, the better off we are when it comes to dealing with accountability issues. 
The more I look around and observe the challenges facing the fire service today, the more I realize about 99% of the issues can all be traced back to accountability of some sort. Consider these sources of influence when you're dealing with the people around you. And if you can't remember them all at once in the heat of the moment, simply give people the benefit of the doubt. But the more you train your brain to be consciously aware of the six sources of influence, the better prepared you will be to have a constructive dialogue instead of a yelling match. I've heard people in administrative positions as well as people in labor positions who wear yelling matches as some sort of badge of honor. They even brag about it. They obviously don't understand that by bragging about how they spent four hours yelling at each other but didn't get anything accomplished just makes them look like buffoons. Don't be a buffoon. Be conscious in your communication. Be practiced. Be professional. You'll find a link to the video that I mentioned in this episode. It's hilarious. Watch it and share it. You'll also find a link to a resource courtesy of Vital Smarts that will give you some additional strategies on how to hold people accountable with tact. As always, thank you for listening to the Ignited Firefighter Podcast. Please subscribe and share. As we delve deeper into these topics, we can come together and help each other learn and grow. I'd like to give away a free copy of the book Crucial Accountability, which will be the book selection for the month of February in the Ignited Readers Book Club. Uh, if you want to be entered in the drawing, take a look at the Instagram and Facebook page for details. I'll be making a special announcement just for the drawing very soon. Thanks again for listening. And until next time, if you see a need, own it and take action. Be the ideal firefighter you would want on your crew. Be Ignited. Ignited.